Hello and welcome once again to Crazy Comics and Stories. It's me, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rat Bastard. And at the other end of the series of tubes and wires that we call the Internet is Joey Bag of Donuts, Joe Crazy Writer. How you doing today, Joe? Is that smells like baked potato? It can't be. Tonight we're having Himalayan rabbit stew for dinner. We found Himalayan in the road. No, I'm having a baked potato because it, this is my one night this week that I don't have to work at one of the other jobs. So I thought to myself, you know, I will make something that takes some time. Now, yes, I use an air fryer, so it takes about half the time, but still. And then I looked and, oh, my gosh, it's six o'clock. We got to record. Yeah, I already ate. So I'm good for now. Well, good, because I'm not sharing. Bastard. Oh, sorry. Rat bastard. Now, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about before we did previews last week was all the stuff that has been coming out for the last month and a half, two months about comic sales. And you've got shops all over the spectrum. You've got some shops saying that things are falling apart, their sales are collapsing. You've got some stores announcing they're closing because sales are sales are bad. Uh, you did have that one shop in Florida that said, oh, it's all woke bullshit. That's why it doesn't sell. Yeah. Then you have other shops that say, well, you know, Marvel and DC aren't selling as well, but we're making up for it with toys or games or non-marvel stuff or card games or stuff like that then you've got shops here in the twin cities like nerd out which just opened a third shop yeah and other stores in the twin cities and i don't know about other cities because i'm not a part of their group that are saying that sales are really really going well so i thought what i wanted to do was first kind of cleave through all the bullshit and there's a lot of it (laughs) and then you and i could talk about how we feel about comics lately see and the tough thing is what i don't get is a lot of it is and i always get called for oh you're being racist but to me it's an old white man rant and i've seen it for a long time and i was just arguing with somebody on Facebook where he was going on and on about how he didn't like the ultimates and blah, 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 the new ultimate line. And I was like, are you even reading it? No. But how can you argue about something you haven't read? I said, you sound like the guys used to be at my shop and I'm talking 1992. Oh, comics weren't the way I remember them. I don't like them. They didn't call them woke. They were just complaining about comics. Still bought them. Still read them. But it's kind of like if you didn't read it, you really don't get a place at the table. If you read it and you didn't like it, that's a totally different subject. But I think it's 
a lot of people have no idea how to critique. They just like to criticize. And they think the same, it's the same thing. They also, I mean, it's a difference between when you listen to our reviews, whereas I go in and I go from what I like it or I don't like it, and generally I only, only spend time with books I like, versus when you do it, Corey, you critique it because you can talk about the writing because you're a writer. You talk about the art because you're fairly, you know, you know more about comics than, you've probably forgotten more about comics than I'll ever remember. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just the point. I mean, all I got to do is say, hey, what do you think of that Jack Kirby argument? And boom, that's a few podcasts right there. But, and that's one reason why I don't necessarily like reviews, because I want to say, if I like something, that's telling you a lot, because that tells you I dropped my money on it, and I'm probably keeping it. That said, and I know I made, I don't know if I made this during the, uh, Festivus podcast that I butted in on. There were an awful lot of sales going on this year. And there's an awful lot of liquidation going on for back of better word, lack of better word. So many shops are doing 50% off sales. I am seeing collections show up in shops that I would have to use a phrase of my mom, given my IT for when I had my shop in the 90s. In the 90s, you generally had people coming in with, well, okay, I've got this run of X-Men I want to sell, which, again, was a hot book, mostly John Byrne, Chris Claremont, Dave Crocker and stuff. But you didn't have runs of Silver Age. You didn't have runs of Golden Age. You didn't have those coming in. At most, you had people who were jumped on during the heyday of the death of Superman, birth of Image, things like that. And then they decided to get out and they were just liquidating their stuff. Some took $20 a long box. Some didn't. I could probably pick out and Corey, you could probably attest to this too, because you went through a lot of these boxes that I get them in. I look at some of the stuff that comic shops are advertising now. And you're talking Cherry key runs of amazing spider, silver age, amazing Spider-Man first punisher. Beautiful Justice Leagues. It's crazy. It's like all these guys are just liquidating their collection. And again, talking to different people. And like Greg Ketter says, you don't get it. People are coming in with collections. They're either people who have passed away and their people behind didn't know what to do with them. Or they just don't care. They're just liquidating them. They want them out of the house. You know, even as I go through my stock, I'm like, I've got way more than I actually will probably ever get to read. And yeah, I'm going to sit in eBay. Yeah, that's fun too. But it's a definite change in the marketplace. To circle back, and then I'll toss off to hear your thoughts, Corey. I tend to go off the idea, again, the old white man argument, and oh, it's racist. I said, yeah, but you're complaining about who's the young girl who was Iron Man for a while? Oh, um, Ironheart. Ironheart. You didn't complain about Dr. Doom being Iron Man, just her. Not to mention, she's not Iron Man anymore. That was years ago. You're complaining about Ms. Marvel. You're complaining about, oh, Dex 23 was now Wolverine and she's now gone back. You're complaining about Black Panther. These books are not for you, the older collector. And yes, I say white because I don't hear 
black people telling me they complain about woke comics. I don't hear women telling me about complaining about woke comics. I don't hear teenagers or even young adults like my daughters and kids like that complaining about woke books. This is just my view, and I'm sure I always take hot complaints about it because whenever I voice that, the first thing that comes back to me, oh, you're being racist. Yes, I am, because I only see white people doing it. <laughs> Anyways, I, and that's well, something you and I have done for years. We, I mean, we just did a previews episode on it. And yeah, we went through Marvel, DC, but we spent a lot of time on other books. And if it wasn't for growing up with Pacific and Eclipse and, and a comic shop that carried these books, I probably wouldn't have hung on long enough to get to Dark Knight and Watchmen and Crisis and all that stuff. Anyways, I've, I've been babbling a bit. I think, I think there's also a thing going on with older fans who, now that they've got a group that they can coalesce with, they all kind of participate in groupthink. And it happens a lot with fandoms. I One of the things you've probably heard me complain about on old Festivus episodes is I love comics. I love Star Wars. I love Star Trek. I don't want to be involved with their fans. <laughs> and it's, and it's a, you know, this, yes, I started reading comics in the 70s. And I love 70s comics for all their flaws. If I have the chance and a quiet day after I've read the new stuff, I will sit down and read through an old story in Marvel Unlimited or in an epic or an omnibus of that purple prose, way overwritten <laughs> 70s stuff that is so formulaic, you could almost, okay... Boom, boom, boom. You you can tell the story before by just looking at the cover going, oh, it's another Morbius story where he's fighting Spider-Man. Okay, I know everything that's going to happen. I know every story beat. But it's fun to go through the story beats. Now, if I expected them to still do that now, it would be like if I went back and I watched Happy Days and complained that, you know what, TV comedies just aren't like Happy Days anymore, where the actor comes in and the audience cheers and he acknowledges the audience before he starts his lines. Or complaining that you know, a TV drama, you know, it's not like the TV dramas of the 70s, where they only had a little bit of a plot and they would fill it out with at least two car chases and no characters ever changed. And it was the same story with different actors every week. Well, except the show Chase, because that was nothing but car chases. I just wonder about that. That was a 70s show. I loved it. But if something's not for you anymore, that doesn't mean that it's bad or wrong or terrible. It means you should have moved on. I'm going to use the most recent national bitch fest. Old white guys bitching about Taylor Swift. Uh. Now, I don't listen to Taylor Swift. I'm 59. I listen to roots rock, garage rock, punk, 
that sort of thing. I don't listen to her genre of music. And the people who say, oh, she does all genres of music. No, she does not get in a garage with two guitar players and a drummer banging out three-minute songs that are either blues-inspired or rockabilly-inspired. That's the stuff I listen to. Do I say she sucks? No. Obviously, she has a huge following. I've looked at record um, music critics who talk about how she is extremely good at putting together a professional-sounding pop song. I just don't like pop music. Does that mean that she's terrible? No. No, it just means that it's not for me. The other thing that I find amazing about her, just a sidebar, she's the only singer. She's what worth three billion? She's the only one. Just one billion. Okay. She's the only one that's done that through music. Other ones of her caliber, Beyonce, Rihanna, they've done it through clothing lines and other type of things. She's only done it through music. Well, touring, yeah. Touring and record sales. And but of course, she's re-recorded all of her old stuff because she had no rights to it, and that was unheard of. Everybody's buying it. At least her fans uh, are. Not unheard of. It's a very Prince thing to do. She yeah. she learned from Prince. Good. But when people complain that, oh, comic sales are down, go woke, go broke. Well, let's go into the numbers. So Not this year. It. Corey's going into numbers. So this year. The uh, Publishers Weekly had their sales analysis of 2023 book sales, and they say that adult graphic novels fell 22.4% at reporting outlets in 2023. This category includes manga, so when you cross-reference with book scan analysis, that's where the biggest declines are. Manga slowed down. Now, here's the other thing. Books overall have dropped. They dropped 6.5 percent between 2021 and 2022, and then they dropped 2.6 percent. However, when you look at overall adult graphic novel sales, they're still up 10 percent since 2019, which was the last year before the pandemic. And you and I have talked about how during the pandemic, when people were home, Book sales went up. I have anecdotal evidence. I went to a bunch of used bookstores. Many of the owners at the smaller bookstores said that two great things happened during the pandemic. One, people were cleaning out their houses and they brought in boxes and boxes and boxes of old books. And then the second thing that happened that helped them was people then went through and filled up boxes and boxes and boxes of old books to take home and read. So during the pandemic to 2020 and 2021, book sales went up a lot. And graphic novel sales went up the most. Now, there are other things to do. You could go out, you could go to concerts, you could go to sporting events, you could go to the gym, you could go to the mall, you could go shopping, you could go, 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 go out, you could travel. Travel is finally starting to rebound. But sales are still above where they were when the pandemic started. So that means that, yes, we had a a huge spike. It has since come down. 
but it didn't come down as far. Normally, if it's a bubble, you have a huge spike, and when it comes down, it comes down way below where it was before the spike. So kids' books are down overall as well. In 2022, they were down 8.8%. Last year, they're down 4.7%. So while a 2.6 overall decline isn't good news, it is less than publishers and the big booksellers thought. They thought it was going to go down between 4 and 5%. So they were prepared for a much larger drop because unlike a lot of people who deal with comics, they understand how the market works. They understand how trends work. Now, the other two big things that popped out at me as I'm looking at the, all the book scan stuff, first off, the trade paperback, the mass market trade paperback, it's dead. Pretty much dead. Its sales ended up being about 3.4% of all books sold. So what would you consider, like you said, a mass market trade? They're the small paperbacks. Okay, so not the medium-sized ones? That go like not the trade or... paperbacks, the small ones. Well, you know, like trade paperbacks, are in my brain, are like graphic novel size, comic no, book size. I, right, but you're talking all books. That's why Star Trek novels moved to the trade paperback size. Remember, ah. they used to be mass market size. Yeah, paperbacks, which I would call it. Right. So what, what I'm trying to get is make sure we got the right terms, because yeah. when you say trade paperback, I'm thinking like just your regular graphic novel that's coming out of Marvel DC. But you're right. talking a bigger, bigger than a, a classic paperback, which you yeah. like put in your back pocket, but because those were what, like seven ninety nine. Now they're up to like fourteen ninety nine. Right. And it was very much that um, Target, Walmart, places like that would rather have the trade paperback because they could charge fourteen ninety nine instead of seven ninety nine. Plus those mass market paperback racks that used to be at your grocery store and your newsstand and your drugstore and and every place else they're gone they did not make enough money per square inch that's why i don't know if you've been to cub lately but their magazine section has shrank down to where i think they only keep 60 magazines and it's way off near the um the self-checkout you have to actually go into the self-checkout area to get to the magazines. And they only have 16 there. So people who say, well, they, they need to get comics back on newsstands. There are no newsstands. Grocery stores are getting rid of magazines because people aren't buying the magazines. If they're not buying the magazines. They're certainly not going to buy in the comics. So here's the other thing. The American Library Association reports that Gen Z and millennials love going to the library. They prefer print books. They're reading books, buying books, visiting libraries. More than half of the 43% of Gen Z and millennials who don't self-identify as readers have been to their local library in the last 12 months. So they don't call themselves readers, but they're still going to the library. They're still getting books. Again, this is the whole change. The baby boomers, one of the reasons why a lot of these collections are showing up in 
comic shops and places like that where you know the collector has passed away or they're wanting to get rid of stuff or their kids are wanting to get rid of stuff is the, the baby boomers most of whom that what it's uh, 1946 to 1960 they're in their 60s they're in their 70s they're starting to be in their 80s that generation is transitioning out of the workforce they're going to be on limited income and they bought this stuff thinking, oh, this will pay for my retirement. Well, it's not, but they still want to get rid of it because they could be downsizing houses. They don't want to keep moving it over and over again, whatever the reasons are. So supply and demand, demand is going up. Supply, back issues, other than keys, back issues, demand is going down. Why? If I want an old comic, I can buy a re I can buy a trade paperback. I could buy a hardcover. I could buy an omnibus. There are eight different ways right now I can read the first ten issues of Spider-Man. Everything from reading it online for you know my as part of a subscription to a two hundred dollar archive edition book from one of the you know from one of the more meticulous publishers there are. I don't need to hunt for an issue of Spider-Man as a back issue. I don't need to, if I miss a comic, I don't need to dig it up. There are shops who are trying to dump it. Oh, I got stuck with seven of these. I'll put five of them up on eBay or I'll put three of them up on Amazon or I'll put them in my bargain bin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, myself, and Butch, when we go to comic shops, one thing I have noticed, their dollar bins and $2 bins and stuff are growing. Why? Because do we really need to have the complete run of Major Damage from DC or Young Heroes in Love from DC or, you know, the, the, spider, the Superman Triangle books? Nobody wants them. Get them out of here just get some money for them or when they buy a collection it's like okay we're going to take out all the keys everything else just put in the bargain bin so the shops who were dependent on back issues have probably having a real hard time as for trade paperbacks hardcovers etc etc brian hibbs talks about this where He's going to be more, more selective as to the stuff he keeps on his shelves all the time. Some stuff is going to come out and it's going to be like a periodical. And if you look back over the history of publishing, it's the same thing. For every Stephen King, who they keep all his stuff in print, there's a Bob Jones who wrote a bunch of horror books in the 70s and 80s. They've all gone out of print and there's no demand for it and nobody cares. They were still books, they were still published, they still made money, but their time is over and they're gone. And then the last thing about this that I wanna point out is that the number one selling book this week, that's all books, Winter Turning, a graphic novel, Wings of Fire graphic novel number seven, 
It sold 96,016 copies. Have you ever heard of it, Joe? I have not. Neither have I. You know why? It's a middle grade fantasy series. And the graphic novel adaptations of that middle grade fantasy series sell really well. Kind of like if Harry Potter would have had graphic novels during its heyday. So the people who say, oh, comics are dying, they're not selling. You're looking at one specific part of the market. And that specific part of the market has ups and downs. And I honestly believe that the $5 price point for a comic book is people's limit. I think the monthly comic is going to continue to dwindle. And the publishers are doing all this other stuff to see what market wants comics. And remember, graphic novels and trade paperbacks have sold better than monthly comics for over a decade now when it comes to dollars. Nobody picks up a trade paperback or graphic novel as a collectible. They pick them up to read. People buy the monthly books, some of them to read, but more and more it's, well, it's going to be worth something. It's going to be worth as much as your Shadow and Doc Savage trade paperback. I'm sorry, your Savage, Doc Shadow, Flying Dutchman, Pulps. There'll be a market that still wants them, yeah. But it's not going to be a mass market. The mass market wants a book. <sighs> so, Joe, let's think about you owning a shop. I can. And you, you and I are still doing the podcast, so you've got all this information. And let's say you still had the big shop. All right. What sort of moves would you make if you noticed your monthly books are dropping, your trade paperbacks went way up in 2020, and have just kind of come down to, I would say they've come down to normal. What are you looking at your long term? I want to keep this place in business five years from now. What is your business plan going to be going forward? That's interesting because the problem is, is that when I sold the shop, the market was so different then because I just bought everything through Diamond. And that was a long fight to get to that point. I had just bowed out right before the first big hit of manga. We were very good on graphic novels. Didn't matter if it was the big archives, the masterworks. Now with the omnibuses, I imagine omnibuses would have come in and probably disappeared because so many people are half pricing them on Ebay's or $10 above half price or whatever. Judging by the discounts people get right now, I mean, retailers, I probably wouldn't be going too long on Marvel and DC. Because so much of Marvel and DC seems to be like cannibalizing each other. I mean, they're yeah, they're going somewhere with House of X. That's fine. 
but I just don't see a lot of enthusiasm for like three, 400 Batman titles or Harley Quinn and every other title. I suspect a lot of shops, the reason why you see them discounting current books so cheap is they probably went in heavy to get the variant cover. Somebody online was just asking where locally you could go to buy variant covers. Go to almost any shop to find them. But I think what he's looking for is just on the shelf regular price. And if you can normal order it, you know, the $3.99 regular or the $4.99 cardstock cover, almost any shop's going to have them. But if you're looking for the incentive covers, some of the bigger shops I notice seem to be ordering less and less of them. They're not chasing them the way they used to. Source Comics games used to be wonderful because you could go in the day of, pretty much have your pick of almost any variant cover one to 20, one to 50, whatever. And then come back a few days because people who got them normally in their, their poll wouldn't like them, put them back on the shelf. But even they've cut back. So again, a lot of this stuff occurred while I didn't have a shop. When I had, even when I had Crazy Comics, there was a Wolverine variant cover that came out. I had to get one if I ordered 300 copies. And I thought... That's fine, but I would sell the one variant cover for what I paid for the Wolverines, and then I still would have to sell the Wolverines to make a profit. It's like, what's the point of that? There wasn't any reason for it. Although, judging by what that thing's going for now, yeah, sure. I don't really know what I would do other than keep stock tight. We always had a very, very strong subscription pull and hold so i would definitely be working on that probably work with more online previews hopefully people are paying attention to what's happening occasionally they are i mean i saw one title and i don't remember what was at the source where they said okay starting at this issue there'll be two different storylines in each cover so you're buying like X-Men number five, but this covers one storyline. This covers another storyline. I'll figure out which title it was because it thought that was unique. Um, how would you say? Signage that the source had on because it alerts you to what's coming on. A lot of things I like, I pick up as I was traveling other shops. Some of them I've mentioned here. There was a bookstore when I was down in Reno that would wrap a book up and say, have a date with a book. And for $3 donated to a charity, a brown paper paperback or a brown wrapping papered the book and then put the first line on the book. I think that's a great way of getting rid of older stock. I would probably very heavily be going to the various comic cons. There's three various cons in town, Minnesota Comic Book Association, the EAKK, so when Kelly runs, and of course, the Midwest, no, Minnesota Comic Exchange. There's also a lot of different shows going on all over the place. This also depends on if I had employees to watch the shop. But Tim at Granite City does a wonderful job where he brings all this stuff. He actually has a, a van ready to rock to go to a show. He said he had maybe two weekends off all summer long because he was at a different show. Matter of fact, he's down at Megacon right now, even as as uh, we're recording this. Megacon's getting ready to rock up. Come to think of it, so is Turbo. 
I never really got into signings as much because it just wasn't my clientele. I'd say, hey, we're having a signing on Friday. Eh, and nobody care. Yeah, they pick up their books. I mean, people would care. They'd come in. I think the big thing would be just keep an eye on the stock. And like Brian Hibbs said, if it doesn't sell, give it a date, move it out. I had a huge graphic novel section. And there were times where I could leave things there because I things would sell so fast, I always had room. I think if I had a shop, the first thing I would do, looking at your shop and then looking at all the other shops in the Twin Cities, and then the ones that we've seen as we go around the state, I would never put all my eggs in one basket for anything. I know that Granite City is a comic shop. That's it. That's all they are. Yeah. And they're also isolated because there's there's nobody around them and there's no real competition. Right. And also they don't have, you know, they, they know their clientele because well, St. Cloud's not a small city. I'm sorry. It's not a small town. It is a small city. So you're, you can kind of tell your sales are going to stay the same year to year to year to year to year. It's not like a whole bunch of new college students are coming to St. Cloud University or a whole bunch of people are moving away all at once. It's pretty much kind of a mature, smaller city. So in Minneapolis, which is where I live, let's say I was to start a shop somewhere in the uh, west suburbs. I'm going to pick Eden Prairie because there's no shops in Eden Prairie. First thing I would do is remember that one shop that we stopped on the way back from Duluth? Oh, yeah. Last time? Yeah, in uh, Cambridge. That would be my model. All right. While you're doing that, I'm going to I'm going to look up a really good. Oops. Yeah, they're a really good shop. That would be my model. I would have a gaming section. And in that gaming section, I would be selling snacks and drinks and et cetera, et cetera. And kind of want people to come in to run their D&D game or want people to come in to play their card game or want See, people uh, to come in for the board games. The and gamer's den. Gamer's den. Of, yep. And I would have, my son would help me because he's into the Warcraft, I'm sorry, the Warhammer 40,000 stuff. A great selection of everything you need for miniatures and painting your miniatures and on and on like that. Because I think there are a few shops that have it and there is a game design workshop store in Eden Prairie, but their hours are weird. And it's too small for people to do their gaming there. Then I would have a section with all of the toys and such that are connected to gaming and connected to comics. I wouldn't go deep into a lot of the wrestling toys or stuff like that because I think there's a war going on between Target and Walmart about who can get them faster. Nope, I would just get the stuff that the, you know, Dungeons and Dragons figures, um, all of the Diamond Select stuff, things like that. And then for comics, I would have new comics, 
but I would be super tight on the month on, you know, they call them floppies. I call them monthlies. I'd be super tight on the monthlies. And if I sold out after two weeks, I'd be happy because back issues, I would be saving all those. I would take them to the uh, Minnesota Comic Exchange, blow them out. All the recent stuff, either one buck or two buck, one bucks, one one dollar, two dollar. And you know, the one thing that with comics going to five dollars, they'd be two dollars. You know, the one thing you would have that I didn't. But a point of sale system. Yeah. You don't even have to buy. I mean, when I was going initially, you could buy a point of sale system for about 3000 bucks. And it was designed to track everything and computerize everything and blah, 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 whatever. Nowadays with Square, you can literally have a Square system for as little as 200 bucks. Yeah. That would do almost the exact same thing. Matter of fact, some of the smaller shops like Rock Hopper, he does that. I'd have given an eye tooth for that. I had a huge 25 page, uh, what do you call it, accounting book that every, every day I would write the yep. receipts down because I had 25 different categories new comics, old comics, back issues, uh, graphic novels. And then I would get into like candy, game. I didn't have games, but I had cards. When game cards like Magic, Pokemon got hot. Toys, T-shirts, sundry items, because I love, I love going through previews and looking for all those shot glasses and Zippos, because those are things that I would have that nobody else has. Right. The latest shop that's in town is Minton Box, which one of these days we'll go visit. And he no new comics, but just old stuff. And I think what he did is he... As I, I talked about last time, he stockpiled toys for a couple of years, just buying them wholesale. I don't know where he's buying them. And he puts them all out. And he's the people are getting collections into this guy. He's talking about that. This just came in. This just came in. So people yeah. are looking to blow stuff out. The competition is, is, I would not say tight, but there's more options for you. If you're looking to just wholesale blow shit out, at least in the Twin Cities, you've got quite a bit of people you can go visit. And for graphic novels, I would want to be kind of tight on that. I love that the source has, you know, the rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of stuff. But boy, they've got a lot of stuff they've had there for six, seven, eight years. And if you're sitting on inventory that long, you're paying taxes on that inventory and it's not making you any money. But the other thing that I would do, I would go big into board games and I would make sure when a new big board game comes out, I have somebody as an employee who can explain it to people. You know, this is how this game works. This is how you play it. This is it's for this many people, et cetera, et cetera. Because one of the things that I see online that I don't see as much in stores is the board game craze. I would have, you know, um, one night a week, probably uh, Thursday or a Friday would be 
board game demonstration. Somebody's going to show you how to play Settlers of Catan. Somebody's going to show you how to play Carcassonne. Somebody's going to show you how to play Democracy. Somebody's going to show you how to play Gloomhaven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because for a shop like that to survive, you've got to have a community. The source has a community, which is why they're able to be so big. Hot Comics down in Jordan, really, it's a small town, but they've got a community. The community is what keeps them alive. You've got to build a community. You can't just do like you did. Well, I throw the crap up on the shelf and it's going to sell. No, I would be the comic person because I read the comics, but I would make sure that I have somebody who knows the Warhammer 40,000, who knows Dungeons and Dragons, who knows board games, who knows the toys, because you've got to be, you can't just be, I'm Corey, this is my shop, like you could in the 80s. You've got to be a specialty retailer. And one of the things that Brian Hibbs out at Comics Experience talks about is having a graphic novel book club. You've got to do things like that if you want to survive. If you're, one, competing, and two, not wanting to just be... You know, the comic book guys shop from The Simpsons. Those shops are pretty much all gone. Unless it's in a small town or a small city with no competition for way, for a long ways around it. So, Joe, with comics hitting five bucks each over at Marvel and DC. Is that your breaking point? I think it is. Because I don't, again, we don't talk a lot about it, but I look at some of the titles I've dropped. I've dropped Avengers. I've dropped Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, the book that started me. Mostly because I'm not that into the storyline. Gang War kind of lost me. And again, no sweat if you like it. No sweat on the creators. It's just not for me. I'm not going to bitch about it. Oh, Spider-Man wasn't for me. Unlike Brave New World, which keeps popping up for some reason is that an anniversary of that or something i don't know no there's an omni coming out of it oh that's probably why so i'm real careful i mean i'm not even willing to jump on a mini series because i don't know if i want to spend 20 bucks on something i may or may not like when i'm combing through dollar bins if I see four issues of a series, or hell, I see the whole run of a series, I'll, I'll probably pick it up for a dollar and give it a try. I'll pick up number ones and give it a try. Case in point, there's a, a series called Grim, which I believe is from, oh, is it from Boom? Yes, Boom Studios. Uh, I just happened to pick up a number one, and probably from the, from, the probably from Comic College back on Black Friday. And uh, I'm just going to read the thing from Boom. It says, Jessica Harrow is dead, but her journey has only just begun. Discover the world of the afterlife where Jessica has been recruited as a Reaper, tasked with ferrying countless souls to their final destination. But unlike the rest of the Reapers, she has no memory of what killed her, what put her in this predicament. In order to unravel the mystery of her own demise, she'll have to solve an even bigger one. Where is the actual Grim Reaper? So I picked up the first issue 
I read it and I thought, this is really good. I paid maybe, actually, I take that back. I bought that for 50 cents when we had Dreamer's Quest. Or Dreamer's. Uh, Dreamer's Vault. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm losing my brain on this. I, I liked it enough. I found the graphic novel. The source was the first place I found it. I read the graphic novel. I love it. I think it's still being published. I have not found any other graphic novels in town. I have not found them on eBay, which is why I'm thinking they're probably, they've only published the first one. They're up to like issue 13, 14. They might be done. I, I don't know. But again, that's the case. I took a chance on something. I just picked it up because it was a number one, and I like it. I count that as a review and a recommendation. So Now, I tapped out on most monthly books a while ago when it's, you know what? I can wait till they're on Marvel Unlimited. I can wait till they're on DC Universe. But, man, I $5.99 just seems like, I'm sorry, $4.99 or $5 a comic. Mm-hmm. Just, I know we have not had a uh, a price bump in twenty years, but man, that just seems too much. Especially when the style of comics now is done without a lot of verbiage. You know, when you read a seventies comic, it took you twenty minutes because, my God, they filled every panel with as many words as they could. Stan told people no more than 35 words to a word balloon. And I swear everybody was doing, okay, Stan says we could do 35 words. I got 34 here. Add another one. (laughs) But now they let the art tell the story more because more and more artists and fans and writers are influenced by manga, which is very much letting the art tell the story. So you can read a new issue of a comic in about five to ten minutes. Now, if you want to appreciate the art, it does take longer, et cetera, et cetera. But just, you know, your first read, you can read it in ten minutes and get everything. Five bucks for ten minutes. Now, when I buy a used video game, I'm paying 25 bucks for 70 to 80 hours. It just doesn't quite mesh for me. And that's why back when comics went to $3.99 and you closed your second shop, that's when I said, I'm going to transition over to trade paperbacks. And then when I was out of work for a couple of years, when I came back, it was very much, I don't want to get on the monthly, the monthly train again. I just didn't want to do it because, uh, continued stories. I have, uh, you know, if I read 20 comics, that's 20 continued stories that I have to keep track of instead of, oh, here's a trade paperback. They're going to have a little thing at the beginning saying this, the third. So here's everything you need to know. And it comes to a sort of conclusion by the end. Even if the story continues, there is a sort of, oh, okay, boom. And I think monthly comics while they are the engine that drives things, I think that we're we're at the beginning of the end. And I think I've been saying this for 40 years now, with fiction, you know, just your average run-of-the-mill novel, it used to be, especially science fiction, it would be, okay, we're going to run it as a serial 
in a in a science fiction magazine or a short story magazine or detective magazine, something like that. Then when it's done, they put out a collected version of the book. All of your Tarzan books by Edgar Rice Burroughs were originally serials in magazines. Then they got collected as a book. And when the pulps went away and paperback, cheap paperbacks came into place, all they really did was they took a pulp magazine and kind of folded it over twice and put a cover on it. And when you see the paperback books of the 50s, you know, I picked those up at Dreamhaven when we're there, when Greg puts them in the dollar bin. You could tell because you can see, okay, here's the first batch of paper. Here's the second batch of paper. Here's the third batch of paper. It's the fourth batch of paper. They were glued together and a cover was put on. And it eventually, people didn't buy magazines for the continued stories anymore. They just bought, bought the books by the 60s and 70s. The whole idea of a serial in a magazine was foreign to people. And I think that's eventually going to happen with monthly comics. It won't be, I pick up these seven X-Men books every month. I think it will be, oh, there's, you know, there's a new X-Men paperback, trade paperback this month. And then next month, there'll be another one. And they will have the production set up differently so that it's okay. Writer A, you're going to write, you know, your story takes 10 trade paperbacks. So for paperback, trade paperback number one, we're going to give the assignment to artist A. He's got eight months to draw it. We give it to art. We give the second one to artist B. He has eight months to draw it. We give the next one to artist C. He has eight months to draw it. By the time we get to book four, artist A has, has you know, got time free, he's going to do book four and so on and so on and so on. Whereas now you see that happening, but it's more piecemeal where artist A does one, two, and three. And another artist does four and five. Then artist A does six, seven, and eight. And I think there's going to be a reimagining of how comics are done. Is it going to happen this year? No. Will it happen within the next five to 10 years? I really think so. I really think the Wednesday Warrior is finally starting to fade after comic shops artificially kept that system going for over 40 years. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know who's not wrong, Joe? Hmm. These guys are sponsors? Why, yes. Our newest sponsor is NordVPN. Let's be honest, if you're out on the internet, you need a VPN to protect you. There's all sorts of things going on on the internet where people can track you. You could accidentally download a keylogger. Uh, all sorts of things. NordVPN gives the best security possible. It has a password manager, which generates complex passwords, syncs across all your devices, stores your notes and credit card information. It also gives you 10 gigabytes of private cloud storage, um, secure files that backs up your data automatically. But the main thing it gives you is peace of mind. It gives you peace of mind when you're um, out on the internet, when you're streaming, when you're playing games, when you're listening to podcasts like this one. It gives you safety anywhere at any time. It protects your online activity. You get full access to all content. And if you use the link, 
go.nordvpn.net sh3ku. It'll take you to where you can get a great deal for a one-month plan, a two-year plan, a one-year plan. They are our newest sponsor. We're happy to have them. And if you would like to sponsor something here at any of the podcasts on the Solitaire Rose Network, you can. Just email me, solitairerosenetwork at gmail.com. Thanks. See, I'm learning eventually. And since we're kind of back on track, back in black, back on track, Joe, you have a retro review. I don't. I do. I do. My retro review comes from a omnibus I am reading, and that is Giant Size Invaders number one. Now, in 74 and 75, Marvel was trying to squeeze a new company called Atlas Seaboard off the stands. So they just flooded the market. I think at one point in 1975, they had over 100 books they were publishing every, you know, some were monthly, some were bi-monthly, but they had 100 titles. Go back and read those um, 1975 comics and you'll see the subscription page is an entire page with little teeny tiny type. But one of the things that they were going to do, they saw that DC was doing the 100 page giants. And those were doing it pretty well. So Marvel thought, okay, we're going to have three formats. Well, we're going to have four formats. One will be the 20 slash 25 cent comic. The 32 pager. Then we'll have the the, uh, double size. And that will be 35 cents. Much like the annuals that Marvel had. Then there would be the 60 center, which would be the 100 page books. And then for a dollar would be the magazines, the black and white magazines. And as they geared up to do that, comics went from 20 to 25 cents. So what Marvel did is they got rid of the 35 cent, the 60 cent, and instead they had a 50 cent. And those were all the giant sizes. And what they were going to do, they were going to have some books that were just giant size. X-Men was going to be giant size and then they saw that the giant size issues didn't sell as well as the regular issues so for the next issue the you know giant size x-men number one was the first issue of the new x-men x-men number 94 and 95 they took the story that was supposed to be in giant size x-men number two and they split it into two books and they had to draw some extra pages and stuff and giant size x-men number two was a reprint because reprints are a lot cheaper they were going to do that with a few books one of them was the invaders and invaders was almost like a present to roy thomas roy thomas's favorite comic of all time was the justice society of america which was the world war ii dc superhero team now marvel really didn't have a superhero team during world war ii they had um what was it? The all winners squad. But it was very much a Captain America story, a Submariner story, a Human Torch story, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what Roy decided was he was going to do a version of the Justice Society for Marvel. 
and it would be the Submariner, Captain America and Bucky, Toro and the, I'm sorry, the Human Torch and Toro. Those were your main characters. Frank Robbins, who had retired from comic strips and was doing comic books for a few years in order to raise enough money that he could buy a house in Mexico and never have to draw ever again. Stan Lee, of course, loved Frank Robbins' stuff when he was a comic strip artist on Johnny Hazard and hired him, gave him a multi-year contract. And Marvel fans didn't like him all that much, but boy, I sure did. And I really think that his stuff on the older characters was perfect because he had that golden age feel. So we got Giant Size Invaders number one. It came it came out in early 1975. It is the story. It's not the story of how the team got together because they had already told that story in the Avengers when the Avengers went back to World War II. Instead, this is mostly the story of how the Nazis were able to steal the super soldier serum. Just one dose of it. To create the Masterman. And he became, he was the Ubermensch, the Masterman, kind of the Nazi version of Captain America. And the issue is about the invaders going into Germany to fight Masterman. It set up all of the stuff that would be going on. It was written a lot like a justice society story in that the first part everybody's together then the second part human torch and toro are dealing with masterman and his schemes second part submariners dealing with masterman and his schemes and then the third part is captain america dealing with with him and then we get to the end and the new story lasts 32 pages and it says that the story will continue in Giant Size Invaders number two. It doesn't. It goes into Invaders number one, where, again, the first two issues of the Invaders is Giant Size Invaders one and two split apart. This is pure nostalgia. And in a lot of ways, when I read it now, it really strikes me that superheroes were kind of at their peak in World War II because the Nazis were the perfect villain. You couldn't say anything good about them. You couldn't do a story about you know, the, the people in charge of Nazi Germany doing this for anything other than evil reasons. And I think it's why a lot of action stories, even going into the 70s, 80s, and 90s, used the Nazis, used the Germans, used World War II, because it was a simpler war. The war with... Um, the, the Korean War was messy and and it had a lot of nuance to it. And MASH worked perfectly in that because MASH was about the nuance. Vietnam War, it took America a good 20 or so years to kind of figure out how to tell stories based in the Vietnam War. Um, we have not gotten a lot of Gulf War stories. Or even though we were in Afghanistan for 20 years, we haven't got a lot of stories about that. This was very much a, here's the bad guys, here's the good guys, they're going to fight. What's the reason? Well, he's a Nazi. We got to beat up the Nazi. 
a lot of people do not like Frank Mil Frank Frank Robbins's art. And I will say, I'm about to say something good about Vince Coletta, Joe. My heart. Mark it down. I think Vince Coletta does a great job in making Frank Frank Robbins's stuff look like Marvel stuff rather than the comic strip stuff he did, which did feel very dated. Yes, there is a lot of the characters have weird poses and stuff, but Frank Robbins said at the time, I was told to draw like Kirby. And when I look at Kirby's art, people are just bodies flinging across the page. So I wanted to bring that energy, that same sort of idea to it. If you look at his stuff like Johnny Hazard, the guy knew anatomy, up, down, backward, and sideways. But when he came to Marvel, and when he does the stuff over at uh, DC, his Batman stuff, it also much more grounded. But at Marvel, he felt like he needed to have that energy of things flying through the air all the time. So, again, your mileage may vary. I enjoy it because I feel it fits the time period. But there are people like Butch who they look at the art and go, bad shit, I hate it. <laughs> we then get uh, reprints in the back because, again, budgetary concerns. So we get a Bill Everett Submariner story, which is very much a Golden Age story. It goes for about, it is a long one. It is a 16-pager. And I believe it is the only backup. I want to make sure. Yeah. It is a it is the only backup. So they say in the next issue, Human Torch will get the backup. And what they were probably going to do is you'd get a Submariner backup. Then the next month you get a Human Torch backup. And then the next month you get a Captain America backup and so on and so on and so on. Now, if you don't, this is very much a by the premise, by the bit. Roy Thomas always treated his World War II comics for Marvel where he would grab stuff from those old comics, but if the stuff from the old comics didn't fit, forget it. It was, well, that was just what Marvel was saying at the time. I'm giving it a thumbs up. I This was, Invaders is one of those runs where you could tell that Roy Thomas kind of lost interest at a certain point. And I don't know if it's because he was being stretched too far or because of editorial interference. But the I would say the first two years is just fantastic, historic. He grabs stuff from history to put in the book. But it's also just fun superhero work with the Roy Thomas overscripting. It's well worth it. It's in the Invaders Classic Trade Paperback. It's available in the Invaders Omnibuses, which is where I read it. And also, it's available on the Marvel Unlimited app, so you can read it there as well. Joe! I have a question for you. Okay. Corey, are you aware of Archie All-Star Special Comics from the 70s? I am not. Well, this will be my little tidbit for today, because it's almost impossible to review any of them, because what happened in 1977, Archie had a whole line of thick comics for $1.25 under the Archie All-Star Specials. The one I got a hold of was World of Giant Comics. What it consisted of, and we've talked about this before, we've run across this in other titles, 
It consisted of five comics dated around 1975s where they ripped the shiny covers off and bound them together in one issue oh, and resold okay. them. Yeah, they've done they've done that a lot of different companies. Yep, yep. And if you look on eBay under the guys World of Giant Comics, because I don't think either a lot of people bought them because they were dollar twenty five. Comics in seventy seven were what, thirty five cents? Well, and also what they usually did with these is they didn't go through regular distribution channels. They would just sell them directly to newsstands in the area. Which would make sense. The one I have had inside Archie and Me 77, Betty and Me number 69, Jughead Jokes 46, Life with Archie 161, and Little Archie 98. Uh, is this the one that you picked up from Nostalgia Zone? I, It's Nostalgia Zone or Most Wanted. Nostalgia Zone says they have that exact issue available. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it took me a while to figure out what it was, because usually, you know, I get a book like this, I scan the front, I scan the back, and then I I look for it on eBay, and I couldn't find it. Couldn't find World of Giant Comics, couldn't find all, then under Archie All-Star Special, boom, all these comics came out. And as I went through it, I realized, oh, this is a amalgamation of comics two years earlier. But it was only 77 that they all seemed to come out. And again, I've only had the one comic, so I'd, I'm pretty sure the other ones were of other comics. I'd love to get a hold of another copy of World of Giant Comics, or at least look at it. Maybe it has a different comics inside, which I would suspect is true. Actually, I'm looking on the Nostalgia Zone website. The one that they are selling is the same. Oh, interesting. So maybe they just said, okay, we got these. We didn't, we didn't sell enough of them. Let's slap them together and get them out of here. Which we've seen done before. Yeah. So, anyways, that's my little tidbit for today. And now we get to my favorite part of the show. No, 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 not where I finish eating my baked potato and uh, have a dessert of bourbon. Mmm, bourbon. No! It's freaking and geeking, Joe. What are you freaking on? Well, my dad is in the hospital. He fell, broke his hip. And, well, pelvic bone. My guess is it's probably fractured, not separated. I actually saw him today, and he's in pretty good spirits, if not a little bored. At the same time, of course, this happened was when Chris was getting her, from her uh, deviated septum, getting her, I guess they're splints. She said they were about six inches long, a lot longer than she expected getting them pulled out because she was having a miserable time just recovering from it. I mean, she's glad she did it. So dad's in the hospital. I'm talking with mom. I'm talking with dad. So I'm trying to keep in touch with everybody. Meanwhile, my brother and sister are mad at me because I wasn't around to help with dad. It's like, well, I had to kind of help with my wife. So family drama, it's kind of weighing on me a little bit today. So and, of course, I'm a little worried with Dad. He is going to transitional care. They said he was going about 1 o'clock today, today as a Monday as we're recording this. I haven't heard anything since, so I don't know if he's gone or not. So once we're done potting, I'll call. And the nice thing is once he's there, they can get him re- rehabilitated, get him to relax and heal, and then hopefully get him home in one piece. So it just life drama keeps going. But 
I was able to cut free and get the podcast recorded. So that's in the win category for me. Corey, how about you? What are you freaking on? Oh, I have a few things. Just a few. I have a lot of friends on Facebook because I've been involved in online comic fandom forever and a day. And a lot of us uh, comic fans who've been online for a long time are getting older. So a lot of my fellow comic fans are posting health updates, you know, being checked into the hospital, having heart issues, having lung issues, having um, all these separate medical issues. And just a reminder that we're all getting older. I talked in the last, well, two weeks two podcasts ago now about how I had COVID and I got over it quickly. And my doctor in my physical said, it's because you take care of yourself. You walk four to five times a week. Um, I've been cleared to lift weights again. So I really am excited about getting back to that. I loved weightlifting. It's a very Zen activity, but he says most people when they hit 50 quit doing stuff, they quit exercising and the, the number one way you're going to keep yourself healthy is to exercise, even if it's just walking three to four times a day, an hour a day. And thinking about my life with the jobs I have and everything, if I wasn't forcing myself to go to the gym and get on the treadmill and I'll watch stuff while I'm on the treadmill or I'll listen to something while I'm on the treadmill, I would not exercise because yeah, I work from home. Um, let's see today I've worked from home and done this podcast. I'm going to bring up, I have only taken 832 steps because I'm here in the house. I don't need to do much. That's why when we're done, going to go to the gym, get on the treadmill, go for an hour, get in a cup, get in uh, two to two and a half miles. Uh, the next thing is fans are already mad about the change in X-Men editorial and nothing has been announced yet. <laughs> Tom Brevoort has been asked to move over and take over the X-Men. And one of the things he's been very clear about is I'm not going to allow any announcements out until the current team has wrapped what they're doing. That doesn't mean he's going to wait till the last issue of their last book, but the last solicitation, you know, it's like, okay, this is the end of the fall of X. Then the next month is when he's going to start announcing here, are the X-Men books here, are the creative teams, et cetera, et cetera. One has already leaked and I think I talked to you about it. I don't know if it was on air or off. Gail Simone has been tapped to write an X-Men book which it's so weird that she's never really written a core X-Men book. She wrote Deadpool, but she's never written a core X-Men book. That's weird to me. But there are already people saying, oh, he's going to destroy the X-Men. It's going to be terrible. No, it's going to be different. But, but most of the time when they do kind of a reset reboot type thing, People complain about it until they read it, and then they go, oh, this is great. Like when Grant Morrison stepped in, all the time leading up to it, oh, this is going to suck that it came out, and it's one of the best-selling, uh, most well-regarded runs to the X-Men. Same for Fall of that, for um, the Hickman-Krakoa era. Before it happened, oh, this is going to be terrible. It's going to ruin the X-Men. And then, no, it came out. People love it. Sales are hot. So... There is one thing that he's doing on one of his Avengers books that I'm not happy about, though, Joe. What's that? 
we're going into a big uh, X-Men versus, not X-Men, Avengers versus Vampires. They're putting out a red band Marvel book where they will have on the cover that it is filled with gore and violence. And they've got a big red band warning on it. Why? Why do we need to do that? If you're going to, you know, if you're going to do a mature book, that's what the Max line was for. The regular Marvel line, in my mind, should always be PG-13. And anytime they tend to go out of that and it's not a Max book, it really comes off bad. Looking at you, Spider-Man Rain, where Mary Jane was killed by Peter Parker's radioactive sperm. <laughs> and then the last thing... That one out of existence. And then the last thing I'm freaking on. Yesterday was the first day I had had off where I wasn't sick, where I wasn't visiting my mom, where I since Festivus. And I didn't realize it till about an hour after I woke up and I was like, well, crap, I got to go. Wait, I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. How long has it been since that? And it's like, okay, you had the week after Christmas off. Well, you were down in Rochester that whole week. Then you came back and you had COVID for a week. And since then, you've worked every day since then. So yesterday was my first full, actual, honest-to-God day off, and I need more of them. Joe, what are you geeking on? I've been reading a lot, mostly because my headphones died at work, so I'm not listening to stuff. And I couldn't find the little teeny tiny extension cord I needed to uh, charge them up. Fortunately, I found them minutes before we started podcasting, so I had to take that off my freaking list. Uh, Some of the books I've read, and I I don't know if I talked to this one before, Being Henry, The Fawns and Beyond by Henry Winkler. I heard he wrote it. Unfortunately, he wasn't coming to tour because I'd love to get an autographed copy, but I picked it up. Maybe my wife picked it up, and we waited and waited, and she didn't read it and said, can I read it? I'm going to read it. Okay, but when I'm done, you can have it back. All right. I read it in about a day. I mean, it was so entertaining. So, because I love Henry Winkler. It's a joy to see him pop up in things when I'm not expecting him. And, of course, I was a big fan of the Fonz. Hey, who couldn't be? He was so cool. To read that it was totally opposite of the way Henry Winkler is in real life was amazing. Because Henry basically is kind of a shy guy, and there's even points where he he might have been off-putting to other celebrities because when he's nervous, he talks a lot. And so guys would be like, hey, Henry, how you doing? And he'd go, well, you know, hey, hey. So I love books like this, especially about actors and singers and celebrities that I enjoy. So I read through that, like I said, in a day. My wife's a little bit into it. Another book I read, this one, Life in Prison by Stanley Tookie Williams, who was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. No, Stanley Williams was co-founder of the Notorious Crips Gang, and he was a death row prisoner from 1981 to 2005 when he finally was put to death. In this book, he writes about the brutal reality of living in prison. I don't think I will ever get in prison because I just don't I'm not that way but it's a blunt riveting account of day-to-day life behind bars from the humiliated strip searches to being locked in a solitary confinement 
he became an anti-gang activist dedicating his life to ending gang warfare. He wrote children's books and other peacemaker works that earned him five Nobel Peace Prize nominations and four Nobel Prize nominations for literature. He was finally executed December 13, 2005. Barbara Cotman Bensell met Williams in 1993 while researching a book about the history of street gangs, and they have since collaborated on 10 violence prevention books for kids, including the Stanley Tookie Williams Street Peace Series, which has been reprinted in 2008. I picked up this book because it's just one of those, I, I pray to God I'll never end up in prison, never end up on death row, but it's, I, I just, it's appreciative of what he did before he was killed. He paid for his crimes, but he also tried to do something, you know, in those, how long was he there? Holy cow over 20 years, about 25 years before he finally was executed. So I just find books like that inspirational. And again, it, it brings me to, uh, I, I watch Supermax things on prison, but to hear it from an inmate's own words, I thought was riveting. Not a big book. I was able to polish it off in a day. Another book I picked up, uh, kind of went through a Star Trek phase. I picked up Kate Muldrew's Born With Teeth, another book talking about someone who knew what she kind of wanted very early in life and how she got it and persevered and was able to do it. And again, same thing with Henry Winkler, same thing with Kate, and same thing with the next book I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. No idea what she went through before she popped out. Well, I saw her on Cheers. I was aware she was in another series. I can't remember. Nothing I ever watched. Yes, yeah, she was in... Mrs. Columbo. She was, but there was one after that, too. Because Mrs. Columbo, although she was talked into it, didn't really think it would do well. And it shouldn't. Yeah, she did, and she was right. But she did it, and I, I think it was Silverman who talked her into it. You know, who, you know, you don't talk yeah. her. Uh, you know, Silverman will talk you into it. But she really had this, you know, she had her goals in mind, and this wasn't part of it, but she did it anyways. There's another, I again, it's in the book. Then I, I finally read Beyond Uhura, Star Trek and Other Memories from Michelle Nichols. And again, Uhura from Star Trek. Incredible dance and dancing and singing career long before Star Trek. Something she revisited after she was born. But I just wanted to say something. As I read Kate, Kate Aldrin was raped. She was going into her apartment. She was stopped. Janice, or well, oh, I can't think of who played uh, Jan Janice uh, on Star Trek. The yeoman who was there for like half a season disappeared. Grace Whitney. She was assaulted by an unnamed NBC executive. And then afterwards, suddenly was found, yeah, we don't need her on the show anymore. Even... Taylor Swift, we talked about earlier, was sexually assaulted by some music executive, and she sued him and got him in prison. Nicole, same thing. Or, I'm sorry, Nichelle, same thing. She was up in Canada, a black woman in the 50s, singing, and was an attempted assault that she eventually got out of, but she went back and 
went to trial and got the guy put in jail. But what the fuck is going on with... I shouldn't be surprised, especially with all the Harvey... Oh, who's that? Murphy Pervy that got jailed? Weinstein? Yep, Harvey Weinstein. And I'm just disgusted. I mean, kudos to these women for telling their stories, but God damn it, guys. Keep it in your fucking pants. I swear, if I was judge, castration is in order. Ugh, sorry, this is turning more into a geeking. But again, very riveting stories, not only telling what they did before, whatever it was made him famous, but what they did afterwards. And in Michelle's case, a lot of work with NASA, which was amazing. Plus, I got tons of things now to look up, you know, little shorts she did, the movie her son did, the record albums she cut. Same thing. I mean, I just, I have little snippets on the phone because I'll take little things like, oh, I got to look up that sign or I got to look up this picture or look up that video or whatever. In more Star Trek, I, I'm in my reread side of things. I pulled out my Star Trek, the John Byrne collection from IDW. I don't even know if this is in print anymore, but if it isn't, it's definitely worth picking up because John, first of all, I love his art. He knows Star Trek. And he also did a light continuity between all of his books. He did Alien Spotlight Romulans, Assignment Earth with Gary Seven, Romulans, Balance of Terror, Romulans, The Hollow Crown, Crew, which was uh, pretty much a story about number one, the original number one from Pike, Romulan Schism, and Leonard McCoy, Frontier Doctor. The Romulan story basically tells the story of how the Klingons and Romulans got together. It revisits balanced terror, all sorts of other ones. You see Kor, you see Koleth. There's references to Troubles with Tribbles. It's just wonderful storyline. The assignment Earth was kind of fun because John goes off the idea that when we first see him, when there's the episode of where the Enterprise travels back in time and actually interferes with the mission. But then the episode where I believe the Enterprise flung around a star and accidentally ends up in the past and they end up beaming up some guy and destroying a ship. Well, that happened after the events of Kirk and Spock meeting Gary Seven. And so Gary and his assistant, again, I don't remember the name, Gary, Terry Garplater, go to try to make sure that the Enterprise, who they realize aren't supposed to be there, don't screw up the timeline. So it was just a wonderful tie-in together, just a lot of fun. The last one, of course, Leonard McCoy, Frontier Doctor. That's all you need to know. These are wonderful, wonderful stories. I imagine they're being reprinted. I know IDW is doing a, it's not quite compendium, but like a collection of everything. I think volumes one and two are out if I've got them. Just a lot of fun. A lot of, if you like Star Trek, it's good to read. And if I was in charge of canon, I would have made that canon. And Corey talked about it last week. I grunted in approval, but I pulled out my normal man 40th anniversary omnibus and read it. A lot of fun because it's all colorized. A lot of it, you know, I've, again, I've read, I've reread this twice. I've had the black and white novel where, well, first of all, I had the original series when it came out, including the Cerebus and the AV and 3D and all that stuff. I picked up novel 
Normal Man, the novel, that was a black and white compilation that first came out through slave labor. And then the complete Normal Man I picked out when that came out, which was a hardcover that had everything. But this is an omnibus that has everything, including ads, the Normal Man special, the Normal Man versus Megaton Man, which was hilarious. And I don't think, although I have it, I don't think I've ever read it. It does such a wonderful job of crossing universes and guest appearances and all sorts of other uh, flaming carrots in it and uh, Mr. Spook from Bean World. And uh, it was just a hilarious romp. So, and of course, I believe Don Simpson's working on his own omnibus or compendium of Mr. Megaton Man. So that, and I think Frank Graphics will be doing it, but you know, I'll be recommending that, but this was a fun book worth cracking open. And I finished it again in, in a day, you know, a lot of, a lot of downtime. I know you said there's a lot of people traveling now and, and things are up, but I work on some of the days like Saturday night where traditionally not a busy fly day. Cause everybody wants to get where they're going either Thursday night, Friday morning, so I had a bit of time to crank them out. And that's what I've been reading. Comics? Well, I'm going to save that because I, I got to talk with Corey whether we're going to do a review episode coming up. Finally, the last thing I want to talk about is the state of my eBay. Yes, I don't talk about it a lot because, well, I, again, I, when I find something interesting on eBay, because I research a lot of stuff. That's how I found out about that Archie Giants series, the world of comics, whatever. But I've, there were a couple of things I was happy about. I figured out why my eBay was running so slow on my main laptop because it didn't run slow when I had my my smaller laptop that I bring to work sometimes. Again, when it's slow, I'll, I'll try to pop things on eBay. Apparently, the ad blocker was in the way, which is weird because no other website that I have problems with it, just eBay. So, like, I would load something and it would take forever to load. Okay, I'm looking up Lady Death Masters. The premier edition, load, 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 load. Okay, I'll go somewhere else, read an article, come back. Okay, it's done. Okay, let's put it on everything that's buy it now. Uh, load, 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 load. Fine, okay, let's put it under comic books category. Load, 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 load. <laughs> Wait, I'm not done yet. Lowest price first, because, you know, I like to be the lowest price on eBay. Load, load, load. Uh, it was frustrating as all hell. I would do things like I would scan books I'm going to put on eBay. I would play games. Uh, I would go on Facebook. But anyways, I, I finally turned the ad blocker off. Doesn't seem to affect anything else I've done anywhere else. eBay's running fine. So I'm very happy with that. I also discovered one thing that I did not make enough sales to have to report it to the IRS, allegedly. Although I'm supposed to report anything to the IRS, so I got to work that out. You know, the beef is if you do over 20000 in sales, eBay automatically reports it. I did about $14,000 in eBay sales out of about 540 items sold. I got a long ways to go. So I will be putting more on the Ebays. Be sure to check it out. I've got my own Facebook page, Crazy Comics and Stuff versus crazy comics and story. Corey has it linked in our website. I should say his website because he's the one who maintains it. And of course, I always mention it here, crazy, K-R-A-Y-Z. Anytime you see anything you like, just let me know you listen to the podcast. I may actually have a coupon set up in the next couple of weeks that you guys can uh, 
use if you just want to go anywhere on the store just for being valued listeners to us because it's going to be a fun 2014 i've got tons of stuff on and 2024 joe i'm sorry i'm, I'm living in the past by uh, yes you're living a decade ago i am i am could you imagine the books i could put aside and make some serious <laughs> money on As a matter of fact i want to go back to 1970s never mind you know what to do people come get some Corey. what you get uh, well i read two more hard case crime novels i'm shocked shocked i tell you <laughs> loved them both uh the first one was a stephen king novel it's got some horror aspects to it but when Hard Case Crime publishes Stephen King, it's more crime-based. And the other thing, the reason I like the Hard Case Crime Stephen King book so much better, the editor tells him, no, it's not going to be a 900-page book. Get to the point. <laughs> it's called Later, and it starts with a little kid who's able to talk to people who have recently died. And it is so damn good. Um, the other one that I read that I absolutely adored, Scott Van Dvoriak, who mostly writes nonfiction books about movies, wrote a book called Low Down Road. And the plot is really simple. A couple of guys steal a whole bunch of pot and they've got a deal to sell it to a bunch of bikers as Evil Knievel is going to jump Snake River Canyon. And everybody's chasing them as they try to get there. Oh, it's so fun. It is literally a chase novel. And it works on every level. And the historical stuff is as correct as it can be. And reading it, you know, you read and as things are starting to fall into place, it's like, huh, they've mentioned Evil Knievel. Oh, they mentioned him again. Oh, they're mentioning the Snake River Canyon thing. By the way, Joe, here is something that a uh, little bit of trivia. Does Joe know? Joe, for a shiny new dime. Ooh. The Evil Knievel Snake River Canyon jump was on, they didn't have pay-per-view back then, so it was on closed circuit. Who was the producer of that? I want to say Howard Cosell, but I have no idea. Mainly because I remember seeing it rerun on ABC Wide World of Sports. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. No shit. Oh, wait a minute. Yep. That's not passe, is it? <laughs> and yes, it was set up that it would be on closed circuit one week. They did not announce until a few days later that it would be on the wide world of sports the next week but everybody in attendance knew because abc had their vans and everything there but nope vincent kennedy mcmahon was the person who put together the closed circuit for the snake river canyon vincent kennedy mcmahon who is now gone i'm not going to go into it but it does lead into my next geeking yesterday was my sixth anniversary as a writer for PWInsiderElite.com. It was also their 20th anniversary as a website. I, The first article I wrote, other than sending in results from local 
you know, Minneapolis shows. But the first time I did live coverage was the Royal Rumble six years ago. And oh my God, it was hard to keep up. I still remember by the end, I was like an hour behind and I was messaging Dave Shearer, the guy who owns the site. This is hard. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's hard to keep up. You're writing and doing and et cetera, et cetera. And they'd actually pulled me in because I'd done stuff for local, you know, I'd sent in local results and it looked like they liked what I was writing because they basically just threw me right into lion's den. Royal Rumble is the hardest show to write up because it's boom, 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 boom. That was also the first year they had two Rumbles, one for the women and one for the men. But here I am six years later, still writing for them. I cover all the AEW shows, the NWA and WOW Women of Wrestling, plus all the stuff I cover around WrestleMania. And I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Then the last thing I'm geeking on I actually mentioned it earlier in the show. I have the Invaders Omnibus, and I would say over the weekend, yesterday, I just sat down and said, you know what? It's been a long time since I've had time to just sit and read a funny book here at my house and not have to worry about what time it is. So I just started reading the Invaders. And I'm not going to say that it's great comics. I'm not going to say that if you are a 22-year-old, you should pick it up. But it hits a perfect nostalgia spot for me because it came out as I was starting to read Marvel. And it really sort of put this thing in me that, oh, wow, there's a thing about the Marvel Universe that was kind of magic back then in that you had a feeling that every story that Marvel published quote, mattered, unquote. It was telling the history of the the whole Marvel universe. And with the invaders, it's like, oh, yeah, this stuff goes all the way back to the 40s and all the way to now. And stuff that happened in the 40s affects the comics now. And it was kind of a 12-year-old's first run-in with canon. And I don't know if I would ever be able to read this book without that nostalgia glow going over it, except I know when I get to later issues, I'm not going to like it a whole lot because they started, there was a Liberty Legion number one that they kind of chopped up into three issues and Roy kind of lost interest as he was moving out to LA and he had, he would plot it, but another writer would script it who wasn't that good at scripting and the art really took a nosedive when um, Robbins left because it was Alan Kepperman whose stuff was passable. Even Sal Buscema's art on the Invaders was better than, you know, his. His was just kind of passable. I've often talked about how Vince Coletta would bring A-level art down to a C-plus, but he could bring F-level art to a C-minus. Yeah, the the stuff after uh, the the stuff toward the end is very much a C minus that Vince Coletta was bringing up to that level, but it still it gives you that warm nostalgia glow. Um, next week I'll be able to talk about more modern stuff that I've read because I will have had time to read more modern stuff. Believe it or not, kids, you've listened to us blather on about buddy books for an hour and a half. Don't you have anything better to do? I mean, I mean, thank you. 
And uh, hopefully you're listening to this at work so you can waste your uh, employer's time. Yeah. And as we say every week, the comic we like the least, we still like better than the comic that you like the most. Joe? You know, the man that invented the Ferris wheel never met the man who invented the merry-go-round. They traveled in different circles. Ugh. Yeah. Go ahead, Corey. Hit my music. Done, bitches!